right. Well, we're in the midst of a Bible study on the New Testament book of John that we are calling Come and See. And our study today is going to take us to a small village called Cana of Galilee, which is about nine miles from where Jesus lived. And today we're going to a wedding in which Jesus, his disciples, and his mother are invited guests to this wedding. Now, we're not sure you know, how or why Jesus and his mom and his uh, disciples are invited, but it's most likely the wedding of a relative or a close family friend. Again, it's just nine miles from where Jesus grew up. It's a tiny village. Probably everybody there is, is pretty much related. So it's kind of natural that Jesus and his mom would be here at this wedding. Now, for anyone who's ever planned a wedding, you know how stressful it can be. Can you say amen today? It's, it's very stressful. And as hard as you try to cover all your bases and plan for every single detail, something always seems to go a little wrong. I do a bunch of weddings every year, and, and even in the ones that are just so well-crafted and thought out and planned for in, in advance, something usually goes wrong. Uh, I'm super nervous at weddings, and because, you know, it's such an important day in the life of a bride and a groom, and my family will tell you that one of the things I fear the most is to call the bride or groom by the wrong name, and it has happened. <laughs> And the more I obsess over it, the more nervous I am, the more chance I'll make a mistake. So often, I'm not even kidding you, often as I'm driving to the wedding venue, I'm saying out loud to myself, uh, Bill and Jessica, Bill and Jessica, Bill and Jessica, do you, Bill, take Jessica? Do you, Jessica, take Bill? Bill and Jessica, Bill and Jessica, Bill and Jessica. Because I'm so afraid, I do a lot of weddings, and I'm so afraid I'm going to get up there and say someone's, you know, someone's name incorrectly. Uh, one time I called the bride the wrong name for the entire ceremony. Inclu <laughs> yeah, you're judging me harshly. But including to the point where I said, we're going to do the vows. And the brother, the guy getting married, didn't even stop me. He repeated the wrong name. <laughs> I think, Bro, you just made your vows to a woman who didn't exist. I was more disappointed than him, than myself. I remember doing a Doing a wedding one time over, uh, it used to be called Cornish Manor, and now it's Stonecroft or something like that. Go there, grab yourself lunch, good food. We were there a couple of weeks ago. But I did a wedding there outdoors one time, and the, and the couple said, hey, we want to do a dove release. I thought, oh, man, that's, that's awesome, a dove release. And they, they would have these doves, and he would reach in, take one, she would reach in, take one, and then they would release them, and, and the doves would go up, and they would kind of sit in a tree and then they would fly away and you would see this couple of doves going together. Well, it was going as planned. The, 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 the woman reached in, she got her dove and she's holding the dove and the guy reaches in to get the dove and the dove decides, dove don't want to come out. And so instead of a tender moment, we end up having a cage match between a grown man and a dove. Finally, the wife, is, she's a little flustered, she's a little embarrassed, she just says, let me do it. And she reaches in and she grabs a hold of that dove and they start wrestling. And I think, listen, you are going to break this dove's neck before you ever get, we're going to, we're going to throw this dove and it's just going to go down. It was, it was rough, y'all. It was rough. But no matter how well you plan, there's, there's always some wedding fails. And in our Bible text today, there's, there's a wedding fail. It's a big wedding fail, but there just so happens to be a miracle worker on the guest list, and he saves the day. Let's go to John chapter 2. Let's go to verse 1. It says, On the third day, 
There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, as we begin reading this text here, just a few verses into the story, at face value, it appears that we may have stumbled on a tense moment between Jesus and his mama. That's what it looks like, because she's like, Jesus, they ran out of wine. (laughs) And And Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with me? Now, one of the things I love about the book of John is that it really gives us a glimpse into the earthly relationships that Jesus had with those close to him. Sometimes I'm not sure if we think about Jesus in these terms, but Jesus had friends. Jesus had a family. He had a mom. He had a stepdad. He had stepbrothers and stepsisters. Thus far, we've learned some things about his relationship with two of his cousins, uh, John the baptizer, who was kind of this hippie preacher who called people to repentance, and then the apostle John, also we believe to be a cousin who is the writer of this book and undoubtedly one of Jesus' closest friends. But in our study this morning, right now, we're going to get a unique glimpse into the relationship that Jesus had with his mother Mary. Now, often when we think of Mary, we might picture her as the virgin girl visited by an angel being told that she was going to carry the Son of God. Think of Mary. Maybe that's, maybe that's the moment you think about in her life. Or maybe you think about her uh, riding on a donkey. You know, we're starting to see Christmas is coming. You might think about her riding on a donkey and Joseph is walking by her side and they're, they're trying to find a, you know, a room at the inn. Or maybe you see Jesus and and Mary there when he's a baby and she's wrapping him in swaddling clothes and the cattle were lowing and Mary, did you know, is playing in the background. Maybe, Maybe that's how you picture Mary. But today we're not looking at Mary and her relationship with Jesus when he's in the womb or in the manger. We're going to look at their relationship now where Jesus is an adult. Jesus is a man. And he's here at this wedding, and it seems like we've stumbled on what we call in in my family, we don't fight in my family. We don't fight. Uh, We have intense moments of fellowship. (laughs) That's that's what we tell the neighbors. (laughs) So, Pastor, we heard some uh, ruckus going on. on Oh, it's just an intense moment of fellowship over there in the dining room. But anyway, we don't know what Mary's role is at this wedding, but it seems like Mary has some position of authority or at least a level of responsibility because she's one of the first to know that they've run out of wine. Now, you might think, oh, that, you know, okay, that's an issue, but is it really an emergency? Some of you are saying, yes, Pastor, that's really an emergency. Slow down, (laughs) all right? Mr. Bartender, just slow down. In this culture, pretty much everybody's drinking wine because the the, the water often is, is not safe to drink. And so they would make this wine, but they would dilute it, all right? It'd be a pretty diluted wine. So it's a, it's a very common beverage that just about everybody is drinking. So if they run out, they have nothing to drink. And this is a big deal because this wedding feast is going to go on for about seven days, all right? So it's, it's a big deal from, you know, just a natural standpoint. But weddings are also the highlight of the year. And for a family to uh, run out of anything, it's going to be... A huge embarrassment. This groom has spent an entire year preparing for this occasion, and his whole goal is to prove that he's the man, 
that he, he's going to prove that, yes, he can, he can take this guy's daughter and he can provide for her. And so if he's going to run out of anything, it's going to look really, really bad. And it's going to make this huge statement that, hey, this guy, this brother is not able to provide for his own family. Some Bible commentaries say that even in this day, if you ran out of wine, your guest could take legal action against you. Wow. Now, I've sued people for running out of chicken wings, but never wine. That's not been a thing. But in this day, you could, you could actually do that. So Mary comes to Jesus and just says, uh, Jesus, they have no wine. Now, I love this because in typical mom fashion, Mary doesn't say exactly what she wants, but she just kind of hints at it. This is the moment I'm, I'm talking to myself, Dave, do I do this? Do I not do this? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sure none of the moms here do this. But I've heard it said of other moms that sometimes moms don't tell you exactly what they want. They just drop some strong hints. <laughs> I notice your wife's not here today, big boy. Uh, <laughs> Moms don't say, uh, will you please take out the trash? They'll be like, boy, this trash can is getting full. They don't say something like, hey, I'd really like you to mow the grass. They'll say, well, if this grass gets any higher, we're going to lose one of the children out there. They don't say, hey, could you do the dishes? They'll say, I can't do everything around here by myself. I guess we'll just start eating off the floor. None of the moms at Crossroads do that, but some moms... Some moms have this way of indirect communication. And ladies, I'm not criticizing. Really, it's, uh, it's charming. <laughs> Clearly, Mary wants Jesus to do something about the wine, but she just looks at him. She doesn't say, will you make more wine? Will you do something? She was just like, Jesus, they have no wine. Just kind of inferring, Jesus, you need to do something about this. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your hour has not yet come? Now, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in. <laughs> but I just want you to imagine to your childhood for a moment that your mother looks at you and says, uh, Billy, the trash is overflowing. And you look back at mom and said, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? <laughs> How many of that would not go over well in your house? You'd be picking something up off the floor, probably your teeth. Right? I mean, what in the world here is happening? Now, now I want to make it clear. I don't think Jesus is being disrespectful here at all. All right. This term woman is the same term. He uses the same term when he's on the cross. He's getting ready to die. He uses his final breaths to, to leave. Uh, Mary in the care of John, all right? So this is, you know, that's, that's the most, one of the most tender moments in the Bible. He uses this same term. So I don't think he's disrespecting her, but I do think his response indicates a change in the relationship. Jesus is no longer a little boy whose choices are dictated by his parents. He's a man now. And this is just a side note. I'm just going to throw this in here for free. But listen, uh, all parents, we need to know that as our kids age, our relationship with them needs to change. Jesus is probably 30 years of age here. And at age 30, we can't be telling our kids what to do. And all the adult kids in the room said a hearty. That was your moment. You had it right there. But let me say this. On the flip side... At age 30, 
Us parents also don't want to have to be paying your bills and bailing you out of the messes that you've created by all of your poor choices. And all the parents said, oh, the room came alive. <laughs> My point is, is our kids, as our kids age, the nature of relationships change. And Jesus is now at a place where he's made it clear that he only does what his heavenly father tells him to do. Up until this point, he's not really felt like there's been any leading to do anything that we would call supernatural. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, I find this really funny because Jesus had just said, woman, what does this have to do with me? And it's almost like Mary just ignored him and said to the servants, yeah, he's going to do it. So whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Don't you love your mama? <laughs> now, again, I don't know if Jesus kind of winked at her. It's like, mama, I got this. Or he prayed about it in the moment and he, he got the okay from his heavenly father to go ahead and do this. We, we, just, we just don't know. But I was thinking about their history a little bit this, this, this week. Jesus is 30 here. There's been no mention of his dad, his stepdad, Joseph, since he was 12 years old. So 18 years has gone by. Jesus is, is probably the man of the house, and Joseph is probably dead. Okay, so it would have been natural for, for Mary to look at him and say, Hey, Jesus, I, I, I need you to help out here. I mean, you think about it. You're, you're living with Jesus Christ. He's never been wrong about anything, right? He's never made a mistake. Jesus has never said oops, right? He, and he could, the guy can fix anything. He's God, and, and you know it, and he's your son, and it would have just been natural for, for Mary to look at him and say, hey, Jesus, I, I need you to intervene. And so she tells the servants, whatever he says to do, just, just do it. So look here at verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews contained tw containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now this is anywhere, depending on the unit of measurement, and there's you know, the Greek words a little different, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of water there, anywhere between 60 and 180 gallons of water. And this water is used for purification. It's used for washing. The Jews are very, very strict on this. You know, you got to wash your hands. you got to wash your feet, your feet. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And he filled, they filled them to the brim. Verse 8, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, everybody say made wine. They didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to them, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, the beginning, this beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And, and here's our big takeaway, and his disciples believed in him. Now, from the start of this book, we've been told some pretty big claims about Jesus. John starts, John chapter 1 and verse 1, and he starts talking about in the beginning. And he starts talking about Jesus being the creator God. He says everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ. But so far, it's just been talk. There's been nothing supernatural. Jesus hasn't really proven himself up, up until this moment. He proves that he has creative power, the same power that he used to create the world and everything in it. He uses that same creative power, and he transforms water into wine. Now, if we just think that Jesus is doing this to keep the party going, I think we're, we're missing the bigger picture here. This is not an invitation to drunkenness. 
Hello, everybody. This is not an invitation to drunkenness. And in fact, a couple of months ago, we did an entire message about alcohol. It was probably, we got more response out of that message probably than anything we've ever done. That's available on our website under a series called Mistakes I've Made, Lessons I've Learned. So this is not an invitation to drunkenness. Remember, John tells us the purpose for his writing is so that we would believe, I can't talk today, that Jesus is God. So in John's book, he's going to include eight miracles or eight signs to back up his claims. So yes, there was a practical side to this miracle. Jesus was saving this family from shame and embarrassment. And honestly, I think that's a pretty beautiful thing to do, especially if it was your family. But he's also, he's proving himself through this miracle. And he's doing it to build the faith of the men that he was training for ministry. I've been in ministry a long time now, and my experience is, is that when a person is young in their faith, often God will do some things in those formative years to really prove himself to you. It's almost like a honeymoon period, where it's just like you pray a prayer, and bam, it just gets answered. You pray a prayer the next day, and it just gets answered. It's just like quick. God is just, it seems like God is just on the move. He's just hearing you, and he's answering prayers, and he's, he's doing so many things, and your faith is just building and building and building and building. Now, um, however, I, I've also seen that as we mature, I think the frequency of those things uh, sometimes lessen. And, and I'm not saying that God doesn't answer prayer and somehow he's less involved in our lives. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that God wants us to grow in our faith and not always be seeking a sign. Some people want to be led by signs. And the Bible says we're not to be led by signs. We're to be led by the Spirit. As we mature in our faith, God wants us to trust him in spite of what we see. We begin to take God at his word and we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know if you've ever experienced a change in your relationship with God or not, but most Christians that I know who have walked with him through time have. There was that honeymoon period where it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Things were happening. God was building your faith. But now as some time has gone by, he expects you to walk in a level of maturity. We even see this in the writings of this apostle John. In his, in his gospel, he writes about all these miracles and signs. But when we get into his later writings, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he doesn't talk about miracles and signs in those books. He talks about God's love. He talks about relationship, and I think that's a natural progression, and I just want to, to encourage someone right now who maybe you have, you've experienced that honeymoon period of your faith, you know, where things were just happening so quick, and, and now you don't see that as much. Please don't get discouraged. I think that's natural. I think that's God's way of saying that your relationship with him has grown and matured. Now, this miracle at this wedding, it was a public miracle but it was done in private. Everybody got to enjoy the miracle, but only a few actually knew that it was a miracle. It's pretty amazing. Jesus didn't stand up in the middle of this thing and said, uh, check, 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 check. is this on? Ding, ding, ding on the glasses. I would like everybody to know that I saved your day. Right? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't get everyone's attention and say, hey, excuse me. Excuse me, without me, you people would be drinking nasty water right now. He, he doesn't make a show 
of this. In fact, as far as we know, again, everybody got to enjoy the good wine, but only a few people. Jesus knew, the servants knew, Mary knew. Just a few people knew about this. You see, Jesus never did miracles like a circus act. He didn't. He didn't use his miracles to draw attention to himself in a way that was you know, like, like a TV preacher or an evangelist or something like that, that that we see some guys are just way out there and just try to make the gospel the show. Jesus never did that. But he did do miracles for those who needed them, and he used miracles to validate who he was, and he used them to help build the faith of his followers. Look at verse 11 one more time. It says, The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him because of the sign. He didn't do it to draw attention, but he did it to help build the faith of his followers. Again, Jesus warned us, don't be a sign seeker, but I think it's healthy to be a God watcher. What do I mean by that? I mean, be on the lookout for little things in our everyday lives that would remind us of God's love. Some people will call those God winks, and I, I don't know about that terminology, but I, I understand what they're trying to convey. But they're just little things that, that God will do in our lives to remind us of how much he loves us. Uh, a couple of months ago, I got to church early on a Thursday morning, and um, there was a single key, just a single key in the parking lot on a key ring. And I, I picked that up, and uh, I, I looked at that key, and I, I thought, well, that's strange. Someone would just have a key in the parking lot. And so I, I, I brought it in. I asked the staff, hey, anyone lose a key? They're like, no, Pastor, not mine. Nope, not mine, not mine. So I just put it on my desk. I just left it there. I thought, well, somebody lost a key. They'll come looking for it. Well, that was on Thursday. On Sunday morning, getting ready to start service, I get a text, and it's from a lady in our church who recently lost her husband. So she's alone now. She's, she's a widow, and that, if, you're, you know, if you walk down that road, it's very, very difficult. And, and she said, Pastor, I need your help. I'm locked out of my house, and I think I gave you a key. Well, she hadn't given me a key. So I texted my son, and I said, David, I said, Suzanne needs help getting into her house. I said, she thinks she gave me a key. I said, she never gave me a key. I said, but look around in my office. There is a key on my desk. He grabbed that key. He goes to Suzanne's house. Guess whose key that was? Suzanne's. They said, Pastor, that's a coincidence. That's not a big deal. Listen, if you're locked out of your house, what looks like a coincidence is now a real blessing. A couple weeks later, There's another woman here in our church who's recently lost her husband. Same season of life. She comes to me after service. It's raining like like it was yesterday. I mean, it's raining hard out. I look down. She didn't have any shoes on. She said, Pastor, she said, "Uh, my shoe broke while I was here at church. She must have been getting down during worship. That's all I know. Uh, She she was cutting a rug back here. But her shoe broke. She said, I I guess I'm just going to have to go home barefoot. It's raining. I said, oh, Kathy. I said, hold on a minute. I said, listen, well, I got three daughters, got a wife. I said, surely we got an extra pair of shoes around here. So I go to Patty. I said, listen, do any of the girls or you, do you have an extra pair of shoes in my office or anything? She says, hold on. Now, she doesn't know whose shoes got broken here during service. She said, hold on. She said, 
I forgot about it, but a couple of weeks ago, a woman brought me a pair of shoes. And she said it was right before service. I didn't have time to do anything with them, so I stuck them in the welcome counter. She goes and gets the shoes. Do you know whose shoes they were? They were Kathy's who had brought him to Patty about two weeks earlier. Kathy walked home in her own shoes. God provided. Now, he said, said, Pastor, that's a coincidence. Listen, if it was your nasty feet getting ready to walk through blacktop and gravel in the rain, it wasn't a coincidence. You'd be like, you know what? God just provided for me. About a month ago, I was getting ready for uh, church. And I was preparing, getting lunch prepared ahead of time. Our family usually comes after church on Sunday. It's about the only time we can get everybody in the room at the same time. And so it's a big deal for me. I, I look forward to it every, every week. And, and I usually try to get what we need, supplies, on Saturday. And I had gone to the grocery store. I got our supplies. I'm up early, just me and the Lord. I'm making some chili. We're going to have taco salads. And I'm getting the chili in the crock pot and everything. And I'm looking at the ingredients and everything we need. And I'm like, ah. Oh, Man, I forgot tomatoes. I forgot tomatoes. I can't believe that. Everything I went, went to the store, got everything. I forgot tomatoes. I thought, well, you know, it's not a huge deal. We got some salsa. We got stuff. We'll be okay. Come to church. Got my guitar strapped on. Ron, this guy here. He says, hey, pastor. I'm standing up there. He's down there. He says, I brought you something. I said, okay, Ron, getting ready to start church. He's like, well, do you want to get it after church? I said, yeah, I'll get it after church. I said, Ron, what'd you bring me? He holds up the bag. He said, I brought you two tomatoes. He said, Pastor, you're, you're silly. Well, I needed tomatoes. Ron has never brought me tomatoes. We go home, we have our lunch, we got our tomatoes. I tell the kids and the grandkids the testimony of God providing the tomatoes. About two hours later, we get a call. Hey, I want to stop by. I got something for you. A woman walks in with a box full of tomatoes. Listen. God has been so good to me that if he never did another thing for me, I'm blessed. Right? You are too. God owes me nothing. He owes you nothing. He didn't give me tomatoes to build my faith. I've been walking with him for a long time. But I believe he did give me tomatoes to remind me of his love. I believe he made sure Suzanne had that key. To remind this lady going through a difficult time in her life that she's not forgotten. I believe God had Kathy bring her own shoes three weeks in advance so he could remind her that she's not forgotten, that he's going to supply her needs even the difficult times in her life. You might say, Pastor, would God do that? I don't know. Remember he said every time you see a rainbow, remember my covenant. Remember in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said, hey, I want you, when when you see a bird, I want you to remember that my father takes care of those birds and your life is way more valuable than a bird. Remember he said just a couple of verses later, he said, when you see a lily in the field, I want you to remember 
that, that God takes care of that lily and your life is worth way more than that flower in the field. Church, we don't always get the miracles we ask for. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But if you're in a difficult season of life, I want you to make sure your spiritual eyes are open for these little ways that God will remind you of his love. He's faithful. He's good. He can be trusted. He's never failed us. Just a couple of final thoughts about this miracle. From our study last week, we also know that wine is representative of the blood of Jesus. We also learned that in our future, there is a wedding feast that awaits us here where the bride of Christ will feast with Jesus, our Redeemer. And that celebration is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't think there's any coincidence at all that Jesus' first miracle takes place at a wedding. And one of the things, one of the greatest things that he's given us to look forward to is a wedding in heaven. As much as we enjoy our relationship with Jesus here on this earth, we don't have to live very long to know that this earth is not heaven. This earth is not heaven. There are difficult seasons, difficult times in life, way too much pain. Look at the war going on in Israel right now. Look at the suffering. There, there's way, this, is, this, is not, this is not heaven, y'all. It's not heaven. And so God gives us something to look forward to. He reminds us in that, that promise of the marriage supper of the Lamb that this life is not all there is. And for followers of Jesus, the life on this earth is as bad as we will ever know it. Everything else after this life is good and gravy. The master of the ceremonies at this wedding in Cana told the bridegroom, he said, hey, what, what'd you do? You saved the best for last. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, I just want to remind us this morning that he has saved the best for last. Church, there's a future awaiting us that is greater than our minds can ever imagine. As I mentioned, Thursday night, we're going to have this time of worship together, and we've been learning, our worship team's been learning some songs that Mac Rock is, is going to be doing that night, and one of them is called The Best Is Yet To Come, and I just, the bridge of this is this, the more that I live, the more that I find walking with you gets better in time. The more that I live, the more that I find walking with you gets better in time. And then the chorus is, the best is yet to come. You know just what I need. You know me by my name. You never miss a thing. My future's gonna be all right. I don't need to know where it leads. If I only know one thing, I know you go with me. The best is yet to come. So what's our personal application today? Well, there's a bunch of things we could probably pull out of this. Number one, always invite Jesus to your wedding. Come on, somebody. <laughs> also to your marriage. Invite Jesus into your marriage. Make him the center of your family. Number two, whatever he tells you to do it, do it. Obedience of those servants brought that miracle. Number three, don't be a sign seeker, but do be a God watcher. God is always doing little things to remind us of his love. And then finally, especially if you're in a difficult season of life, keep your eyes on eternity. The best really is yet to come. We stand with us today. I just want to pray over us right now. Father, we thank you so much, God, for this time together. I thank you for this family, this group of believers, those who've been redeemed by your name. 
Father, as we prayed earlier, I pray again, anyone going through that difficult season of life, that you'd strengthen them. God, that you would reassure them of your love and your care. Father, for all of us, I pray, God, that we would uh, keep our eyes open this week. Let us look for for things that, that we might even consider those small miracles, those times, Lord, where you're just reminding us, you're just building our faith. Also, Lord, help us to be obedient people. You're often looking for someone to participate in a miracle. Often you're looking to use our lives to help be that sign to someone else. And we want to be a people who are open, who are willing, and are obedient, Father, to your leading. We give you thanks and we give you praise. Bless your people now. Bless this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.